stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome back to Afternoons here on News Talk 770. I am Andrew Lawton, and what a delight it is to have you all tuned into the show this afternoon, just after 1.35 today. And one of my biggest issues of concern in what we're seeing in Canadian politics in the last few months has been the hearings hosted by the Heritage Committee in Ottawa as a result of M103, the motion put forward and passed by Liberal MP Ikra Khalid, which among other things, calls for a, quote, whole-of-government approach, unquote, to Islamophobia, despite not defining Islamophobia. And it's important to note that even though people may draw their own conclusions about what Islamophobia is and why it's important or not important to tackle, what is important is to acknowledge that the term itself really forms the foundation of these hearings. And whatever the government does next. And there was a testimony from M103's hearings that I wanted to spotlight from Dr. Zudi Jasser, whose work is simply spectacular. He's the author of the book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam. He's the host of Reform This, which is a Blaze radio podcast, and also president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. And he actually went to Ottawa to speak about this. And one of the comments he made was the challenge of Islamophobia. And I wanted to get into that with him here. Dr. Zudi Jasser joining me on the line. Dr. Jasser, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Great speaking with you. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Why do you as an American care about this dialogue unfolding in Canada? Well, this dialogue is very important. And uh, certainly the government does need a whole of government approach to Muslims to Islamism and the the security threats and a lot of the issues that touch on Muslims and it's no longer simply about security after 9/11 and with ISIS now uh, also it includes some blowback related to uh, bigotry that might exist against Muslims but if we don't get the terms right if we don't thread the needle between separating out the Islam that I may practice or Muslims may practice in Canada versus the Islam of ISIS and the Islam of the Saudi regime and other theocrats, uh, we're going to get the entire security strategy wrong. And we're going to actually instill either, you know, more fear in Canadians or not have them be as concerned about the threat as they should. And this term Islamophobia, I think, is, is a pathological term that is the really typifies the reason why we've not been able to get the strategy right. For non-Muslims who don't understand the distinction between Islamism and Islam, who don't understand the distinction between those seeking reform and, and those not seeking reform, is there an antagonism or a bigotry towards Muslims generally that is of concern for you as a Muslim American? Well, I think, you know, as with any minority, there's uh, obviously some uh, um, bigotry that might exist, xenophobia that may exist. But I would tell my Muslim friends and colleagues that if you want to help melt that away, the best way to do it is to take up the bandwidth that's being paid attention to Muslims in Islam with having us fix our problem. I think a lot of the fear is growing and some of it's legitimate in that you have not only uh, Islamists that are radicalized, like this attack we just had in Manhattan. Yes. But every few weeks we're seeing attacks, and it's because we're not dealing with the problem. We're in denial. And these terrorists are simply the tip of the iceberg of a larger global movement. The moral equivalency where Muslims try to sort of deflect 
our responsibility to compare it to uh, other attacks uh, that exist here, uh, I think is a deflection and also belies the reality of where Islam is in its history because we have 1.6 billion people on the planet that believe in Islam as a faith. That includes huge theocracies and, and republics that are Islamic republics like Pakistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia. The Muslim Brotherhood won an election in Egypt, but they were also rejected by millions of people. So Islam is going through that same time in history. And this week we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Christian Reformation yes. for Martin Luther. Islam at 1,438 years now is at that same point in its history in which we're pushing back against theocracy. So to answer your question, Islamism is the theocratic interpretation of Islam that believes that the state should be Islamic, the law should be based in Sharia. Islam is the faith, and our organization, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, our mission statement is to separate mosque and state. There are a great many of the so-called official Muslims, the people that are often put forward as the experts on Islam, who really reject any of what you say and other Muslims, including many who have testified at the same hearing in which you were a part, people like Tarek Fatah or Raheel Raza. And I have to wonder why within Islam is reform, which is obviously controversial, but in so many ways necessary, met with such resistance, even from people who would consider themselves moderate and peace-loving? Let me tell you, this is so important. This is the most important issue, I think, in the 21st century, is that Canadians that, that simply take for granted what a Muslim spokesperson, a self-appointed spokesperson, stands up and says, are being duped. They're being duped into thinking that Muslims all think alike, that somehow if somebody says something critical about, Muslim, about Islam or about the Prophet Muhammad, that we're all going to be offended. So this penchant of a lot of the Islamists that are political operatives that believe that our community should act as one political entity they are going to dupe you by using terms like Islamophobia. They don't talk about bigotry. And look at the Jewish community, for example. They talk about anti-Semitism. They don't use terms like Judeophobia. Why? Because the word Islamophobia comes from the 90s, where the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, a group of 56 Muslim countries that vote almost always as a block at the UN, they came up with that term in order to to exploit the Western penchant to be nice to Islam, to, to be politically correct, and actually in their own countries, in Saudi Arabia, Iran, all the droves of political prisoners they put in jail, most of them are not put in jail for criticizing the king or the, or the uh, uh, Khomeinists or other dictators. They're put in prison for criticizing Islam, for blasphemy. So that term is intentionally used by theocrats because they want to make it appear that somehow Islam as a religion, as an idea, has rights. And you'll find in the Middle East they're not having this debate, because if you translate their Arabic, their Farsi, or other languages, they're constantly calling these guys Islamists. They realize that they're theocrats. And unfortunately in the West, because we're ignorant about what really happens, uh, we reformers are, are not given notice because the establishment of our community, the clerics, who, who really need to be marginalized, uh, uh, get most of the oxygen in the room. Is the problem the word or the concept, though? If you were to sub out Islamophobia and replace it with anti-Muslim or anti-Islam, would your approach to that term be any different than it is when Islamophobia is the term of the day? 
It, it actually is mostly the term because uh, uh, the second thing, once we agree to change it to anti-Muslim bigotry, then I would agree some of those responses I got from the, the committee members was, well, this uh, resolution is about addressing anti-Semitism and all minorities, and fine, we can do that. But actually, that also was not exactly true because it, it rose out of E411, which was an e-petition based on basically demanding that the Canadian Parliament address Islamophobia. Yes. But I think, yes, I think if you're going to address it, my strategy to address anti-Muslim bigotry would be for there to be an obvious educational process where Canadians begin to learn that the Islam anti-Islamist movement needs platforms. And as they learn that, they will then no longer feel that Muslims are the problem, but rather understand that they are the solution and to the problem. And But we just need to take sides within the House of Islam with reformers against the theocrats. And that would, I think, melt away some of the nativism, some of the xenophobia that certainly exists. I know that when we talk about the idea of reform, I, I interviewed when one of her books came out recently, uh, Nani Darwish, and she had mentioned that reform, and I, she actually acknowledged you by name at the time, is a dangerous idea because she says it's impossible within Islam, and she's a, a former Muslim, now a Christian. Where does that idea come from, and how do you see reform as being possible when there is so much resistance to the idea of it? You know, listen, uh, we, we obviously have some disagreements with those folks who, who think that reform is impossible, who think that Islam is sort of baked in the cake, if you will, and that it's done. Um, I would tell them that Christianity itself took 1,789 years plus until our countries here in the West began to understand what the what the Bible meant when it said, render under Caesar what is Caesar and unto God what is God. Islam is still needing to go through that. I will also submit that if, if you look on the football field, if you will, and uh, we under, we're on one side of the field, we have 99 yards to go to get to the end zone of reform, and we're still way on the other side. We don't have the leadership. We don't have the funding of the petrobillion-dollar Islamist movement. We get it that time is not with us, and uh, we are outnumbered. And I do believe, however, if you look, the Islamists do not win elections. They are still a plurality, but they're not a majority. But when you look at the leadership, the clerics, what is normative Islam in our books, uh, Noni's right. That is, uh, it doesn't look like it can be reformed. But we are not coming to this from a position of ignorance. I, my grandfather uh, was an expert in Sharia. My father had translated the Quran. So there are many of us who are intellectual leaders that believe that there are modern ways. You know, the Middle East uses modern medical science, uh, modern computer science. They just will not allow us to use modern political science. And that's what we need to call them on, is that it is time to ask not what did Muhammad do in the 7th century, which... Obviously, he did not separate mosque and state then. He wore all those hats. What would Muhammad do if he was alive today? And by listening to the narrative of the likes of Noni, they're basically calling me what the Saudi government does, which is I'm not a Muslim, I don't know Islam. So I would tell people who agree with her to, to ask them, well, then what's the solution? Are we, if we say reform is not possible, the goal would either be to put a wall around the West, which is impossible, or to then try to convert 1.6 billion people, which is also not a strategy. 
When you expressed at that committee meeting, you got not just challenging and, and perhaps some critique, but you actually were stonewalled. There was one opportunity where an MP could offer questions and answers for a seven-minute period, and, and as I understand it, he basically ran the clock out, and at the end you got mm -hmm. like a courtesy, I think 45 seconds or something to, to add to it. But, but is this the way that you're treated when you speak elsewhere, or is this a uniquely Canadian phenomenon in the supposed country of hospitality? It is classic. It is classic. And uh, it's not unique to Canada. Uh, my colleagues in the reform movement, uh, Ezra Nomani, testified to the Senate, and she wrote a piece a week later in the New York Times in which she went to testify about how women's rights are obliterated by Islamists in mosques and how we put our, our testimony of our declaration on the doors of mosques demanding reform. And the women senators, including Kamala Harris from uh, California and Gillibrand from New York, Democrat women senators who claim to be feminists, never asked them one question. They asked the Homeland Security expert questions but ignored them throughout the Senate hearing just only a few months ago in September. This has happened to me also. I've testified to Congress seven times on this issue. And the Democrats will ignore us as if we don't exist. And this is exactly what the Saudis do. They come to Washington. Uh, our legislators say, hey, have you, have you talked to reformers? They pretend they've never heard of us. This is the issue. When people say, where are the voices of moderate Islam? We are cast aside, not only by the Islamic establishment, but by the liberal establishment who wants to use us for their identity politics and check the box that they defend Muslim rights rather than be genuine about actually working with reformers who share their values about women's rights, uh, gay rights, and other things that actually, if they worked with us, they find we have a lot more in common with them than the Islamist uh, uh, theocrats do. Well, I'm glad your voice is there, as challenging as it may be for it to get through. The author of the book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, Dr. Zudi Jasser, joining me on the line now. Dr. Jasser, thank you so very much for your time today. Really great speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate All the it. best to you, sir. When we return in a couple of moments, more afternoons here on News Talk 770. I'm Andrew Lawton. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.